0: Chapter 18. The Blades of Yu Staggen. Tarin had a vision. One where she strode into the Shield-Bearer's Guild, pumped full of unwavering purpose to start her own mercenary company. She had a banner and name all picked out. The vision had been so grand, she felt compelled to share it with every patron at the Dead Marsh. It must have been one elemental celebration, because when she woke up the following afternoon, she couldn't remember a lick of it. When she finally made it to the Shield-Bearer's Guild Hall, her spirit still ran high, almost too high. She had to suppress a grin before entering, replacing it with her best imitation of Jorgen's perpetual scowl. The hall's inside had transformed from when she last saw it during the New Cycle Festival. Gone were the casks of booze, dodgy bands, and companions of the night. The only sound now came from the clink of armor and heavy boots as various company captains postured in front of prospective clients. Like showing off fancy gear ever won a job. She scanned around for a guildmaster, wondering if one of them was Tashwin's inside man, or if he had other people embedded in the guild. Her eyes fell upon the blackboard scrawled with jobs assigned to companies, as well as those waiting to be claimed. Heavy footsteps approached from behind, then Guildmaster Priska's husky voice asked, what will it be miss? You looking to put in a contract for an escort job? Tarin cringed. She hated how the woman's deep, dry voice still carried that airy northerner accent. It made her sound like she needed a drink of water all the time. Also, Priska wasn't Tarin's first choice of Guildmasters to approach. She turned around and found herself staring into a gleaming breastplate with overly accentuated features. Her face contorted into a frown, there's no fucking way they are that big. Her hat's brim luckily shielded off the expression. She quickly flashed a polite smile before craning her head to look up at the guildmaster. The northern woman's rigid features barely shifted in what might have been a smile or an ugly glower, Turin never could tell. Prisca's pale skin and hair were common in the far north. Rumor had it she once lived with the tribes on the frozen tundra plains near Skymount. Turin waited for recognition to settle in. It didn't. Prisca just stared expectantly. Turin sighed. It's me, Turin. No response. I used to work in Jorgen's company. I've been strolling through this pitiful guild hall for years now. Priska's head tilted to one side and appeared to be trying to purse her brows, only they barely moved. The shift of her head exposed the blade of an axe strapped to her back. Jorgen's little girl, she asked. Teeth ground together as Turin tried to calm herself with an internal mantra, don't punch her, don't punch her. She took note of Priska's attire again. The bitch wore chainmail underneath her plate armor. She wasn't even a proper mark yet felt the need to roam around armed and dressed for a battle to break out in the guild hall. Yes, probably best to not punch her just yet. Yeah, I worked for Jorgen, Tarin said after much deliberation, but I'm not here for a contract. I came to see if Jorgen's old license is still available. What of it? Tarin forced a calming breath. Is it still available or not? Prisca's mouth quirked in what might have been a thoughtful frown or constipation. It's open, but what's it to you? Looking to fuck your way into whatever company fills the slot? Tarin's hand flinched towards her dagger but held back at the last moment. The motion didn't go unnoticed, and Prisca smiled rigidly, almost as if she wanted Turin to try and stab her. Lucky for the guildmaster, Turin had showed up sober today. Otherwise, she might just free up a seat on the guild council. She indulged herself with the visual image of a broken nose on the big woman's face and her smile returned. Tarin let a few her thumbs casually rest in her belt while recalling a rumour she had heard. At least I don't need to drug my men first. The slant brought some colour to those pale cheeks, but she continued before a retort came. Actually, I intend to buy the licence. Prisca's face began to tremble. That last jab might have worked too well. She growled, it doesn't matter if the license is available. You don't have the coin or the proper reputation to take on the role. You should try for a license down at the Companions of Night, they're always looking for new whores. Tarin's smile faltered. It wasn't the intent of insult on herself she found offensive, but the degrading implication towards one such as Jasnah. Prisca sharply turned and stormed off, and not a moment too soon. Turrin's hand itched at her belt, wanting to snatch up Jorgen's old dagger and toss it at the big woman. Instead, she indulged herself with the mental image of clubbing the woman in the head and watching her keel over. Sadly, it brought little satisfaction. She sighed, shoulders sagging. Elements, why did she let that woman get to her? Couldn't she keep herself in check for five minutes? Prisca hated every woman in the guild, it wasn't a secret. Turin should have known what to expect and acted accordingly instead of prodding the behemoth. While Prisca blended back into the crowd, another familiar voice spoke, Madame, whatever it is you need protecting, I'm sure I can find just the company for you. Turin turned to give Abner a disgusted expression. At least he recognized her immediately. Though he seemed taken aback at her transition from her former grimy clothes to the clean, high quality leather and cotton she wore now. Still hitting on every client, she asked. Tarin? My, you are looking rather well since returning to town, he said, still recovering from his surprise. She let his sleazy eyes look her over, then smiled as an idea took hold. So, business is good, she asked playfully. She walked past, Brushing her hand lightly across his fine chasm silk gandora, just above the sash at his waist. She let her fingers cling for just a moment on the fringe of the robe he wore over it all. Yes, he cleared his throat and moved to follow. As good as can be expected for the air season. What brings you back here? I thought you were done with the mercenary life. She kept walking, smiling as his voice followed her to the counter where she settled her last contract with him. I was, she said, feigning boredom, but I closed out a couple side jobs, sold some extra gear we had stored, which surprisingly turned a pretty profit, and I now find myself with some coin. Honestly, all this running around the city with the common folk has got me bored. Figured I might see what there was to offer back at my old guild. He chuckled and pulled out a bottle and a couple cups without even asking. Oh, he's good. I'd say this calls for a toast, you're returning to the guild, he said, offering her a cup. He never had come onto her so strongly before. Maybe she should buy another one of these macaron cotton shirts, or perhaps it was the hat. She tilted her cup in salute and threw back the drink. Her nose recognized the Arakan instant before it hit her lips. She didn't know why she had expected him to actually pull out something decent like the other night. She mustered a coquettish smile to mask the disgust on her palate. He refilled their cups and said, So, you looking to sign back up with one of the companies? She laughed, hoping it sounded flirtatious. No, I doubt any of them have anything special to offer. I actually had my eye on Jorgen's old license. He laughed at that, then paused, drink halfway to his lips. You're serious? What? A girl can't aim high in this guild. He took a drink and grinned, all snake-like. Well, it could be done. You need support from two of the guild masters. I could back you, for a price. I knew I liked you for some reason. I hope Bronson is the other supporter. Prisca would rather fight me to the death than see me start up a company. Though, now that Turin thought of it, that idea did sound appealing he waved dismissively, don't worry about the northerner. I'll have a word with Bronson and get him to come around, assuming I'm properly motivated of course. She smiled wryly before polishing off her dreadful drink and let the negotiation begin. Abner was a twisty bastard, leagues ahead of the scholarly fellow she sold the heartstone to, but the guild master didn't compare to the hat merchant from the marshes. Mostly Abner was just a horny scoundrel. Every other round of negotiations involved a late-night meeting in the guild hall, but Tarin maneuvered around him. An hour later, he scribed the finishing touches on the contract of formation for her new mercenary company's license. His call paused and lifted from the paper. All right, what will be your outfit's name? I dunno, she shrugged, trying to recall her vision through the haze of last night. He pulled back from the table. I can't finish the license without a name. And it can't just be anything. It needs to have flair and strike fear into people. Please, she said, shaking her head. All that outlandish posturing these other companies do with flashy names and uniforms, that shit never really works in landing contracts. Don't be so certain. A reputation becomes attached to a name. It will proceed the company before you meet with your clients. You must remember, clients won't know the last thing about what makes a good mercenary company, but they will have heard exaggerated tales linked to a catchy name, forming an opinion before you even meet with them. First impressions are hard to overcome. Illyrians nor Krymen ever cared about an outfit's name or reputation. They'll cut you down all the same if you're in the way, she said. Though, he had a point. Even Jorgen had used a slew of names over the years. The Blood Willow, the Desert Fangs, he kept changing it with every new base of operation he migrated to, probably a consequence of trying to avoid whomever he screwed over last. Nor will a Southern Empire if you find yourself fighting against them, but you'll earn more from your contracts, Abner said. She chewed on her lip, thinking of the only thing that had haunted her dreams as of late something that had followed her down the mountain and still lingered even after offloading the Heartstone. Uitstagjen, Staggen, she mused, speaking the far words for White Stag. That animal's eerie presence still sent a shiver through her. Abner leaned in, readying his quill. What was that? With growing confidence, she said, the blades of Uitstagjen. Staggen. That'll be the name. His manicured brows rose. Mixing weapons with the mother's holiest creatures on Hueron, I like it. Tarin tapped her empty cup thoughtfully. What do you know of the white stag? He didn't look up from scribing as he replied, same as everyone else, just old southern folklore about how the mother occasionally sends a white stag into the physical world. It forms a conduit with the elemental side where she resides. It's all children's stories, and even though no southerner has ever seen the mythical animal, they'll understand and respect it. But I've seen it, she thought saying as much might only cause her to lose standing with the guild master. All right, Abner said, straightening. All we need now is to settle payment for the license, the processing fee, legal fee, expediting fee, my personal fee of assistance. You're what, she cut in. It's all standard procedure, he assured, grin spreading across his lips. We can work out the details tomorrow. Oh, and then there's the issue of your captain. You have someone in mind for the work or are you planning to take on that role for yourself? Abner might end up being slicker than she had given him credit for. But she had at least anticipated this latest requirement. Yeah, she said, I've got a name for you there too. A few inquiries led her into the Guildhall's Hall's rear courtyard, which boasted an archery range, several wooden practice dummies, and a pair of sparring rings. Inside one of the roped-off rings by the south wall, she found Thomas Dunn with a pair of recruits. They hardly appeared like recruits in terms of age. Elements, one looked over forty. But their experience showed in the way they stood with weapons bared, all rigid, awkward, and utterly clueless. She stopped at the edge of the ring and leaned against one of the wooden posts to watch they all wielded wooden bucklers and dull scimitars. Judging by the way one recruit held his shield, he'd lose it shortly. The younger recruit was a bit eager, or perhaps overconfident. He lunged at Thomas, who batted the blade aside with his sword and sidestepped, kicking the recruit's rear as he passed. He caught a face full of dirt upon meeting the ground. The older recruit must have seen an opening and came in. Thomas blocked with his shield. He followed with a quick swipe of his sword and spun in close to bash the recruit with his shield. Thomas flared his shield out to the side after striking, catching the lip of the recruit's shield and peeling it from his grip. Turin smiled as the man fell to the dirt. The spirited recruit had got to his feet and charged. He seemed to have forgotten this was a practice fight. He swung wildly at Thomas, who stepped back as he blocked and parried. Anger flared on his face for an instant. He moved in a rapid combination of sword strikes that sent the recruit off balance. Instead of letting him fall, Thomas spun around, swinging his shield low to take out the man's legs. The recruit abandoned his delusions of victory and lay panting on the ground. Thomas started into a lecture on the recruit's form, or lack thereof, and their impatience. Turin departed the handful of spectators and walked to where an urn of water sat on a wooden table. She found several small clay cups and filled one. When Thomas arrived a few minutes later, she offered it to him. Thanks, he said. His breathing came quite steady for having just finished a sparring session. After his drink, he added Turin sightings in back to back days. To what do I owe the honor? Is that all they have you do these days? She asked, gesturing to the ring. Show the new lads how not to look stupid while wielding a sword. If by that you mean, showing recruits how not to die during their first day on the job, then yes, that's a part of it. You're capable of more. Saving lives is fine enough by me, he replied, but she saw a yearning for more in his eyes. There's more than one way to do that for the company, she said and noticed him give the faintest of nods. Come on. She gestured, I want to talk to you about something. She led him back inside and upstairs to the balcony that wrapped around the main hall below. Several doors lined the balcony, offices for the licensed companies in the guild. Jorgen's old office looked like it had never been used. She doubted he had ever stepped inside it since coming to town. A lone desk with a chair on either side made for the only furniture inside the bare stone walls. A layer of dust covered everything, giving it a stale, musty smell. She hadn't inspected the room before, therefore didn't know what to expect, but she had hoped for something a little, more than what greeted her. It wouldn't make for a stellar first impression on Thomas either, not quite what she was aiming for. Still, she didn't falter and strode in like she owned it, and in a sense she did. Jorgen's old office, Thomas said upon entering. They must have picked it clean after he died. Tarin plopped into the chair on the far side of the desk and kicked her booted feet on top of it. The sturdy wooden desk had a pair of cabinets on either side. She opened one for inspection, making a note to stash a few essentials inside and maybe a small crossbow in case Prisca ever visited. Instead of joining her, Thomas asked, What did you want to talk about that required you to bring me up here? She cast a dramatic arm about the room. This is it. His brows pressed downward. Do explain. You are in the presence of the partners of the Blades of Hewitt Staggen, the latest mercenary company licensed with the Shield Bearers Guild. He didn't say anything for a long moment. She didn't know what kind of reaction to expect, but he was either angry, confused, or very angry and confused. Finally, he chuckled Elements, you went off and did it. Damn it. Tarin, that was just tavern talk over drinks. You at Staggen? he paused to rub his chin. I didn't know you knew the southern myths. Interesting choice, naming your outfit after the mother's conduit in the world. People will either respect you, or think you're a loon. For the shadow's sake, am I the only one who doesn't know the southern tales? And to think, I'm probably also the only one to have actually seen the cursed stag. It hardly embodies the mother. Well, I'm hoping for the former, she said grinning. After all, a good name is half the marketing campaign. I still can't figure out what in the shadow possessed you to, he drifted off, face hardening. Wait, what did you mean by partners? Her confidence wavered at his reaction, but she plowed onward, forcing her grin wider. Me and you. I signed us both up as owners, me as the controlling share owner of course, and you as the captain. Hey now, calm down. I fronted all the coin. You can thank me later at the dead marsh with a drink. What, he whispered in a tone that grated like iron. More loudly he added, why in the elements would you go off and do something like that without talking to me? We did talk, last night. You wanted to start up an outfit. I thought it was a damn fine elemental idea, and now here we are. But my commitment to my current employer. Who cares about Ashura's shields, she cut in. You said you hated them anyhow. They don't even respect you. I care, he roared, making her flinch. It's my word. They have it written down that I've pledged my services to them. It's only a contract. I'll talk to them. It's more than a contract, he snapped. It's about honour and reputation. That's all wasted now. A void formed in Turin at the thought of Thomas leaving her before they even got started. She had been so eager to leap at the solution to her Tashwin problem, she hardly thought of how her future partner would take it. Still, she didn't see Thomas's hold up. She let him pace the room a couple times, then said, Look, it isn't like any of the other mercs in this guilt have or care about those qualities. This is your chance to break out from their hold. Maybe I liked it how it was, he said, sounding tired. His shoulders slumped, and he shook his head. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have snapped like that. I understand what you did, and I appreciate you cutting me in at no cost to myself. I only wished you would have spoken to me first, in a more clear and sober manner. Thomas, I honestly didn't know you thought of it like that. I can amend the contract and find someone else. No, it's too late. The entire guild hall is probably talking about it already. I'll accept the position as your partner and captain. She exhaled a long breath she didn't remember taking. Well, I'm glad we got that settled, because our first job is barely more than a wave away. His head snapped towards her. Brown eyes going wide. As the final waves of air drew near, the season's hold lessened. Few southern realms got to experience the air season. Most resided too far south, and the seasonal waves turned to circle back towards the Illyrian mountains before ever reaching them. Still, Roonport's version of the season was mild compared to other lands, with snow only coming during the first few waves. Temperatures inched upward now, and Tarion enjoyed the change. At least she wouldn't be freezing her ass off while on the road. She led her fresh recruits down Roomport streets, towards the large Merchant Square by the main gate. The vendor stalls only just started setting up in the early morning light for another day of haggling. She picked the members of her company almost at random. Almost meaning that she sifted through the names of willing and available bodies and made the economical choices, she picked the cheapest wages on the list. The final tally of Abner's various fees had weighed in heavier than expected. The options for work had also been limited. While Thomas had been upset at the news of quitting his former employer and going against his word, he went livid when Tarin told him their first job was security on a chasm silk run. You never take the first chasm run of the year he had said before exploding into a rant about monsoons, crime and raiders, and chasm Wyrm's awakening from hibernation. He had a flair for the dramatic that she hadn't expected. He insisted on a minimum squad of twenty mercs, all mounted on horseback and armed with bows and spears. The thought of how much coin that would run, led to seeing where she could pinch a few embers back. She leased the mounts from a stable holding a questionable license with the Guild of Three Bloods. She didn't care about their good standing with the Guild, so long as the prices were right. Plus, they had a stunning chestnut fire blood mare with a blonde manet, and Tarin absolutely had to buy it for herself. She needed to look the part after all, even if it sent her budget spiraling into the shadow. The sheen on its coat resembled woven marsh silk, and firebloods could run for an entire wave without tiring, or so she had heard. If the elements came crashing down on her, the mount would see her clear of the situation. The weapons followed in similar fashion at the anvil on the rise. She originally planned on acquiring shields, something Jorgen never did for his crews. Then she came across a set of custom-throwing knives and black leather vests stitched to house them. A stag's head was engraved on each handle. She didn't believe in the mother, but who was Turin to pass up on such a sign? Thomas waited in the market square atop a massive black stone blood. The horse stood a few hands taller than her slender mount. Her partner spoke to a bearded southerner in a long gandora, seated in one of four wagons. Good morning, boys, she greeted. Turin, this is Eson, the Chasm expedition leader, Thomas replied. His gaze shifted to the line of mounted recruits before riding off to inspect them, leaving her with their employer. She exchanged quick pleasantries, but Thomas had already filled Asan in with the details. She told Asan to ready his team and rode over to join Thomas. Her partner strolled his large mount back and forth across her ragged band. They hadn't looked so pitiful earlier. In fact, she had felt pride once they all got outfitted and mounted at the Guild Hall. But Thomas was on another level in his studded leather, pristine and oiled, with links of chainmail resting beneath it. His cloak fluttered behind him. A steel kite shield strapped to his saddle and a long sword hung from his hip. The straight blade of eastern design made him stand out all the more. He looked more like a decorated military officer, making their crew of mercenaries appear like props in a cheap play. Each recruit crumbled under the pressure of his gaze, all save one. He stopped in front of a young southerner woman with short, boyish cut hair. She was thin, almost frail, and rather short. Turin remembered Keitha because of her hard-nosed expression. She met Thomas stare for stare and upon his request, handed over her spear. He tossed it in his grip to examine the tip, then along the shaft. Without comment, he returned it and rode over alongside Turin. He spoke with forced restraint, where did you find these recruits? Tarin shrugged. On the list waiting for hire. Why? They look like they've never held a weapon a day in their life, or like they were just released from the Guild Guards prison this morning. Neither of which are the type you want on a job like this. And I thought I said we needed 20? I only count 18. She frowned at him, then gestured to the pair of them. And us make 20. He closed his eyes and breathed deep. After a long moment he turned and said, Well, pray that the mother is watching over us. I fear we will need it. From now on, I handle the recruits and weapons. We'll do it together, and we'll be fine, she said. Elements, he needed to loosen up. He nudged his horse closer and whispered, Turin, I now have the reputation of walking out on employers it may not take much for me to continue my streak. Then he kicked his mount into motion, calling for the expedition to move out. Her hand drifted over her new jacket, cut short and high to easily access her new knives resting beneath it. Okay, so maybe she had left off a few bows and other weapons to afford her new blades. It seemed like the obvious choice at the time, but now a foggy, unfamiliar weight pressed down on her chest. Her company rode by in response to their captain's orders. Some recruits swayed clumsily in the saddle. She watched Keitha pass, fresh and raw as any, but with a hunger in her eyes. It reminded Turin of herself after what seemed like a lifetime ago. Maybe Thomas had a point. She ought to take note from Jorgen's mistakes and do right by these new charges of hers. Her horse trotted into line with unrivaled grace. The column of wagons and mounted mercenaries headed out the gates and to the east, towards the Golden Plains and the great chasms beyond, and to the first job of the Blades of Uit Staggen.